Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. This is SiriusXM Progress. I'm John Fugelsang. You are listening to our Wednesday night special. We are going to be celebrating people who fight for the dignity and rights of others, and we are going to mercilessly mock the dick size of politicians who would curtail such freedoms. Looking at you, you pudgy mediocrity, racist little fake Christian Ron DeSantis. Today's not your day, son. You tried a little too hard. Now it's not going to work. We have a great lineup tonight. Imara Jones is joining us, the creator of Translash Media, to talk about the wave of anti-trans healthcare and anti-trans sports bills, which is all part of the Republican Party's goal of bringing anti-trans legislation all the way to the Supreme Court to make it look like they're doing something for the fake Christian white people who still support them. They're not. Being shitty to trans people doesn't make your life better, loved ones. Hate to be the one to break it to you, but yeah. And by the way, when gay people got the same marriage rights as you, you didn't lose anything. Sorry. Amari Jones was a guest on our TV show on Current TV, and I'm very, very happy to have her back. Also, Bob Seska of the great Bob Seska show and Stephanie Miller show will be here to talk about police executions and the Durham bombshell, uh, not about investigating the investigation like we were told, but uh, finding out that Italy was telling the Justice Department that Trump was a big old crook and they ignored it. Also, AR-15s for our kids called the JR-15. If only Darwin had said something to say about that sort of thing. There is so much to get to. Tyree Nichols was laid to rest at a funeral in Memphis today that was attended by both our friend Reverend Sharpton and Vice President Kamala Harris. Uh, we're going to be talking about Florida quite a bit. And President Biden and House Speaker Kevin McCarthy met today for over an hour, the first of likely many meetings they will be having face-to-face over the next few weeks as we all have to go through the process of caring about the debt ceiling again because Republicans are trying to make it look like they're, you know, doing something. 866-997-4748. Chris Hauselt is our executive producer running this thing from South Carolina. Thea Harper running it from Brooklyn. I'm Johnny coming to you from Manhattan. Also, we've had some great interviews today. We sat down with uh, Alan Cumming, the Tony Award winner, multiple Emmy and Golden Globe nominee, to talk, well, he came in to talk about his new reality show he's in, which he's very funny in, and it's a very fun conversation, but Alan Cumming made history this week as being one of the very few number of artists who's been honored by the British Empire. In his case, it was uh, becoming an officer of the British Empire, the OBE. The Beatles member had the MBEs, the member of the British Empire. 
John Lennon famously returned his to protest uh, a lot of things the government was doing. Alan Cumming uh, decided that he was very grateful for being granted the OBE. He got it in 2009 from the Buckingham Palace for his work on behalf of LGBT rights. That's pretty cool. But over the years, he has come to have more and more issues with having, well, those two words, British Empire, on the honorific. So he chose to return it this week and just happened to have an appointment to come on our show. So the conversation started off being about a reality show, and then it goes really, really deep into colonialism and racism and pillage and protest. And then we have some fun talking about everything from literally from Stanley Kubrick to covering Billy Joel songs. It's a really, really fun one. Also, our conversation with the great Timothy B. Schmidt of the Eagles. They're about to go on tour, and they're stellar bass player, who's also a great songwriter for Poco, sat down to talk about uh, everything, including his new solo album, which is so good. I'm glad the Eagles didn't make a new album. And then uh, coming up next week, our sit down with Ryan Johnson, director of Star Wars, The Last Jedi and Knives Out and Glass Onion and Natasha Leone to talk about their infectiously watchable news show, Poker Face on NBC Peacock. So see, we got the celebrities coming. The election's a few months older. We got to get more big shots here. Working on a couple of big names. I hope I can share with you very soon. But for the next three hours, we're covering everything that happened in the world and in pop culture. And of course, uh, in politics, today's a good one. Today would have been the birthday of Lisa Marie Presley. She should have turned 55 this very day. We're going to play some of her music later on. It's also the birthday of John Ford and Clark Gable and S.J. Perlman and Boris Yeltsin and Don Everly and Garrett Morris of Saturday Night Live. The original cast is 86 years old today. So let's do a show. <laughs> After heavy criticism, from Governor Ron DeSantis, you may have heard, the National College Board released their official curriculum for their new AP African American Studies course today. And uh, it looks a little bit different than the African American Studies course they had planned to offer for AP. Because Ron DeSantis claimed that uh, AP African American Studies lacked education value and said he would ban it in Florida. So they changed it up. The white guy told the white people how to teach black history. And that's what happened. The new framework no longer requires teaching of any contemporary topics like Black Lives Matter or the debate over reparations for slavery. We're not talking about first grade here. We're talking about an AP course. We're talking about a course that academic students go to to get college credit on African-American studies. And Ron DeSantis will not allow this class to discuss Black Lives Matter or the debate over reparations for slavery. It's not just that they want to ban the teaching of history, which they do. Now they're banning theories and debates. Ron DeSantis is banning the teaching of ideas because he's scared of ideas. And the College Board erased everything from this AP African-American history course that Ron DeSantis objected to. That's how white supremacy works. The white guy tells the other people how to teach black history. Any references to bell hooks, Kimberly Crenshaw, taken out. But black conservatism is now listed as a possible research topic because DeSantis says fight indoctrination. And indoctrination means teaching anything he doesn't want. Just like, you know, if you tell a child don't hate gay and trans people, you're grooming them. But DeSantis wants to make sure the education system, in his words, is rooted in the history and philosophy of Western civilization. I kind of must be silly. I thought African-American people were part 
of Western civilization. And today, DeSantis announced that Florida would scrap funding for diversity, equity and inclusion from public universities on the first day of Black History Month. On the first day of Black History Month. He's saying we're going to have we're going to scrap DEI from public universities. Now, you might ask yourself, why why is this guy doing this? He wants to run for president. Why all of this really stupid and clumsy and unnecessary and legislatively costly and time consuming and mean shuffling the shit around the movie? Why? You know why? Because Ron DeSantis has nothing to offer white non-millionaires. Say it again. Ron DeSantis, like the rest of the Republican Party, has nothing to offer white non-millionaires. So they'll punch down to rile up your uncle racist and your aunt dead inside and get them all angry. We'll do the culture war rhetoric and we will make the white straight majority think they're under siege. Oh, you're being attacked, you white straight cisgender majority. You're being attacked by teachers who want to teach about the history of racism and apartheid in this country. You're being attacked, white straight minority, by transgender kids who are just trying to feel comfortable in the world. You're being attacked by desperate, impoverished Christian refugees and migrants at our southern border who aren't even in your state. You're being attacked. Tell the conservative base they're always under attack from the teaching of historical facts or trans kids or poor Latin Americans who just want to clean your house or watch your kids or take care of your yard for you. And that's how they do it. Again, they have nothing to offer. This is the Confederacy. This is the plantation owners who have to find a way to get the poor white people to go fight their battles for them. And how do you do that? When you're the plantation owner taking advantage of racism, taking advantage of white supremacy, taking advantage of a rigged system that you were born into the top of, how do you get white people to do your bidding? Well, (laughs) you tell them that they're under attack by those Yankees who want to come here and take away your way of life. And that's how it works. And that's why the poor whites are still fighting for the plantation owners. Dino Badala wrote about Emily Ekins of the Cato Institute, the think tank. She found that 73% of people who voted for Trump in 2020 believe that today discrimination against whites has become as big a problem as discrimination against blacks and other minorities. 73% of people who voted for Trump think that white people have as much a problem with discrimination. What the, what, the, what, what, white people, what? Was Starbucks out of foam? What, what? DeSantis is trying to be Trump. Meanwhile, Trump is trying to be DeSantis. If you've been watching this, this clown show, they admire each other's work. Trump's trying to be more anti-trans. DeSantis is trying to be more racist. But this is how he's running. In an analysis for The Washington Post in 2018, it was fascinating. It showed that in the year in the year 2000, the percentage of Americans who thought there was too much black history being taught, single digits for Democrats, single digits for Republicans. And Democrats haven't changed. But Republicans now are 30 points more likely to say that schools should teach less black history. That's what Ron DeSantis is doing. He's going for the base. He's pandering to the base. He's assuming this graduate of Harvard and Yale who has to hide his education. He's assuming the worst about white people and doubling down on it. And what does that mean? It means he's going to get a big surprise in the general election. You know, if you'd asked me a year ago, six months ago, I would have said, Ron DeSantis, there's no way he's not the next president. But this guy is so overshooting the mark. He is so cravenly willing to tar himself as a racist this early in the process that it's not going to work. The backlash is growing. You got black leaders having a rally in Florida denouncing him. Ben Crump says he might sue him. 
Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker just called out DeSantis as an extremist. And I just want to say something to all you anti-racist Americans, all you people who are mindful of discrimination, all of you who understand how racism can be systemic, how racism and bigotry are not always the same thing, how someone cannot have any hatred in their heart and still be part of the problem and perpetuate stereotypes that are racist. Guys, stop calling Ron DeSantis racist. Come on, stop. I mean, why? Why do you want to do that? He's most likely the Republican nominee. He very likely could be your next president. You know, you liberals, you cling to this belief that there are systemic injustices in American society and the need to address them. That's racism, right? That's what, you know, wokeism is, right? But why call him racist? How how dare you, liberals? Do you understand that right now, right now, Ron DeSantis is protecting all of Florida from trans children who want to play sports? Do you understand? And if he becomes president, he will protect the entire nation. You ingrates from trans children who want to play sports. Can't you be appreciative that he's doing something for you? Hmm? He hates the same people you're afraid of. Why would you call him racist? Because he just had his state education department reject AP African-American studies when they already offer AP Chinese, AP European history, AP German culture, AP Italian culture, AP Japanese culture and AP Spanish culture. But African-American studies inexplicably contrary to Florida law and significantly lacks educational value. You're mad about that? Hmm? You're mad because he wants to put under review books that are overwhelmingly about the black or LGBT experience, either ban them or put them under review. All of them around the black or all of them. Are you mad that Florida is one of a handful of Southern states that still has a state sanctioned legal holiday to celebrate the soldiers who committed treason and seceded from the union to preserve the white supremacist institution of slavery. Cause they got three of them motherfuckers. Florida has a holiday honoring their general Robert E. Lee. They have another holiday to honor their president Jefferson Davis and they have Confederate Memorial day. You know what they don't have Juneteenth, an official holiday to commemorate the end of slavery. Ron DeSantis wants to keep holidays that honor those who fought for slavery but doesn't want a legal holiday marking the end of slavery. And you're going to call him a racist just because of that? Because Just because he blocks state colleges from having programs on diversity, equity, and inclusion and critical race theory? Are you going to call him a racist just because this poor man destroyed the heavily black 5th congressional voting district in Florida that stretches from Jacksonville to Tallahassee, represented proudly by African-American Congressman Al Lawson? The 5th district that assured black voters in Florida could choose a black representative? But Ron DeSantis broke up the district, and now those voters are divided up into four other majority white districts. And Representative Al Lawson is now out of Congress. You're going to call that racist? Really? That's just how you pandered to a largely white political base in Florida. Oh, I get it. You liberals are mad at him because of the Stop Woke Act, right? Which restricts conversations about race in schools and businesses and allows students and their parents to sue any teacher or any school anytime for any course that ever made them feel guilt or anguish, or any form of psychological distress due to their race? DeSantis just said it's wrong to teach children that America was built on stolen land. And because saying that might be upsetting to the children of of racists. And it might stop the children of racists from growing up to be ignorant, lying racists. Ron DeSantis successfully pushed for a state education rule that banned any lessons that would denigrate the founding fathers who made slavery the law of the land. So in other words, just don't talk about the enslavement and rape and murder of black people or the ethnic cleansing of Indians that because that 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 might make one white kid feel bad. So let's play it safe. He's protecting Americans. Specifically, he's protecting racist parents and grandparents from having to have talks they don't want to have with their kids. What have you done? 
Oh, I get it. You liberals are mad because he's against the 1619 Project, which argues the persistency of racism for 400 years. And he called it a CRT version of history and said they want to teach our kids that the American Revolution was fought to protect slavery. And that's false. Well, I, I, I realize that's not why they had the revolution, but they also chose to keep slavery for another 90 years. And that's making me feel bad as a dumb white person. I might have to sue myself. I, oh, here we go. I know why you're calling Ron DeSantis racist. Because in November of 2018, 65% of Florida voters voted for Amendment 4, which got rid of the system of felony disenfranchisement, adopted at the beginning of Jim Crow, which keeps anybody who's been put in jail for a felony but paid their debt to society from voting again, even if they pay taxes. This survived essentially unchanged from Reconstruction until 2018. And for decades, they throw black men in jail for trumped up charges, vagrancy, what have you. And then those men couldn't vote again. And Florida in 2018 voted to get rid of it. God bless you. 65% of Floridians voted to get rid of it. And Ron DeSantis brought it back because he passed Senate Bill 7066, which eliminated the right to vote for returning citizens who were given this fundamental right back under Amendment 4 by making their vote contingent on their wealth. Ron went back to the 1870s, Jim Crow, to pretty much just bring up a poll tax to eliminate voter rights. <laughs> I mean, 77% of Floridians who were otherwise qualified to vote under Amendment 4 still owed LFOs, and they were disproportionately black. He found a way to overtake the anti-racist vote of his state. Last May, a federal judge found this law was nothing more than a pay-to-vote scheme. But again, he's not a systemic racist. He's a systemic racist enthusiast. This is the leader of the Republican Party. He's the guy that they're replacing Trump with. You're mad that he lied and shipped those asylum seekers up, up to Massachusetts, lied about getting them jobs to put them on a plane, and then used federal COVID funds to fly them from red Texas to blue Massachusetts as a cruel stunt. But hey, Libs, they got a free plane ride. Are you mad about his book? Dreams from Our Founding Fathers in 2011, where he said Obama has Muslim roots and Obama was a Marxist, and where he claimed that the three-fifths compromise, the evil fucking law that counted black people as three-fifths of a human for the purpose of representation in Congress, that he said that benefited anti-slavery states. It, it it didn't. It benefited slavery states, and that's what it was designed to do. He even attacked Thurgood Marshall because Justice Marshall said the Constitution was defective from the start for allowing slavery. <laughs> DeSantis said, no, he's all wrong. He said, misses the mark. He said, it's a system. The, the slavery was OK because it was designed to fail. The slavery was designed to fail. So just let it go on a few decades more. Let the beatings and the rapes and the mutilations and the families torn apart continue. Continue the genocide of working people to death because at some point it would have just stopped. That's DeSantis' point of view. It's in his book. He's arguing it would have been okay. It would have been acceptable to his pudgy, amoral ass for slavery to stay legal into the 1770s, the 1780s, the 1790s. Because, hey, come on, at some point, at some point, it'll become illegal. Florida's got a governor who says states should be able to display the white supremacist flag of the Confederacy on government property. Is that why you're mad? Are you mad because he said no one questioned before we decided as Americans that we are endowed by our creator with inalienable rights and that we are all created equal? Then that birth abolition movements. <laughs> uh, guys, just so you know, the, the U.S. Um, never acted against slavery until 1807. 
when they got rid of the slave trade because they moved to slave breeding in this country. Um, and then it took a civil war. No one had questioned slavery before. No one had. Qu- Are you mad because Ron DeSantis said no one had questioned slavery before? Maybe he doesn't know about Moses. Maybe he doesn't know that the slaves themselves had probably questioned it. Maybe he doesn't know about the massive slave revolts in New York and South Carolina and other mainland colonies in the colonial era. I, th- I think the slave revolts were questioning slavery. <laughs> Here's the thing. No one had questioned slavery before we decided as Americans that we were endowed by our creator. When he says we, he's clearly not talking about black Americans. He's placing black people outside the category of we Americans. Well, (laughs) Ryan Newman is Ron DeSantis' general counsel. And he had to testify on behalf of the Stop Woke Act at the federal courthouse in Tallahassee. And they asked him to define woke. And you know what he said? He said, woke means the belief that there are systemic injustices in American society and the need to address them. Turns out, liberals, Ron DeSantis has the exact same definition of woke we do when he's in court. I got to just say, he's brilliantly locked down the fake Christian racists who were already supporting Ron DeSantis' vote. Restore colorblind equality. Any politician who says to you, restore colorblind equality, is telling you they believe there at some point was colorblind equality in the past. Ron DeSantis is the Ted Cruz of Rick Perry's, and he's famous for being a racist, and he'll be famous for being a racist before he's famous for being the nominee who beat Donald Trump. What do you want, liberals? Florida banned books, they restricted abortions, and pretty soon you'll be allowed to conceal carry guns without a permit. What do you want? It's a fun state. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. This is SiriusXM. We're at 866-997-4748, 866-997-GRIT. I am very blessed over here because we get great guests on this show and great regulars. And every Wednesday night, I get to have the joint classed up by Mr. Bob Seska. You might have fallen in love with Bob on the Stephanie Miller Show. Maybe you were his fa- fans of his columns in Salon of the Daily Banter. He has one of the best podcasts you can subscribe to for politics and music and pop culture. It's called The Bob Seska Show. Conveniently enough, Mr. Seska. Welcome back. It's good to see you. Yeah, it's great to see you, John. I, I had a great show today, in fact. I'm so glad you, you mentioned it. Tell me. <laughs> and I appreciate the plug. It's it's very, Tell very about the show today. I want to talk about yeah, today because you you talked about DC comics and movies. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. We did a whole round table and it started out and it was with uh, uh Travis Bone from the Stephanie Miller show. Never heard uh, of Funk Legend Freak Bass from mm-hmm. Ohio. And then my friend Rick Shu, who's the host of a new podcast called Friends from Work. And we did a roundtable not only on the DCU rollout with James Gunn from yesterday, but then we also talked about toxic fandom, which I think is something that we've you and I have talked about here on this show. Well, where... I, just, I interviewed Ryan Johnson yesterday uh, for the show. Oh, so my you God. You want to talk about <laughs> toxic yeah. fandom. The man who wrote and directed <laughs> okay. The Last Jedi can teach a college course on it. You're right. Yeah. I just want to sit and listen to you talk about yesterday's interview with Ryan Johnson then. Because let, let's just do that for the next 20 minutes. I, I, I will say we were talking about Poker Face. Natasha Leon came in with him. And I, I, I oh asked my Star God, Wars, are you kidding? No, it's really good. It's going right. to air on uh, Monday, I think. But um, I, I asked I asked I finally slipped an a Star Wars question in the last two minutes of it. Um, 
you know, that, that's just, I didn't want to get, I was like, can you tell me, did DJ manage to get off Snoke's Star Destroyer before the Holdo maneuver? I just, there was so many things I wanted to do that I just, I, you know. Oh, God. The toxic so fandom great. is a legitimate thing. We saw it, it with is. The Last Jedi where these racists who have no, I mean, they're like the Christians who don't care what Jesus taught. They're the Star Wars fans who don't care about all those lessons on the dark side. They just yeah. want to hate because this artistic franchise is here for my amusement and anything I don't like is a crime against nature and so they will attack women or people of color who are in the cast and, right. and it, it's disgusting it's ruining uh mm -hmm. aggregator sites for reviews and it, it seems like this is just what the internet gave us closer access to douchebags it's no longer enough to love a movie or love a tv show you have to hate the people who don't like that movie or TV show, and then you have to go after them. Or you have to go yes. after studio executives who canceled your favorite movie series or TV series. That's, That's right. the way things operate now. And there, the most recent example I can cite, and this is actually the inciting incident for today's episode of my show. Please, yes. There's a, a young actor, Wolfgang, and I forget, I want to say Nova Krantz, or so, I forget his last name, but he posted something on his Instagram where he would like to be considered for uh, James Gunn's Superman role. And okay. he was so, yeah, he was so inundated with the, and, and by the way, I'll qualify this by saying, I love Zack Snyder's DC movies. I've got Batman V Superman poster right back there. Right. Everything. right. But there are such toxic fans circulating that series of films and yes. they descended on this young actor on his Instagram to the point where he had to shut down his Instagram account just because he posted a picture of himself wearing a Superman shirt and saying, hey, James it's Gunn, how about it's me? Just, it's just mean. That's not how they cast yeah. people doing an Instagram post and tagging James Gunn. Guy guarantees you'll never get a meeting. It's a sad little story. And people just had to be mean on top of it. They just had to be yeah, mean. Yeah. It's, it's fandom for sci-fi or comic books, Bob. It's like any religion. There are mm. fundamentalists who think it all belongs to them, and they will punish yeah. anyone who doesn't share their views on how the religion is supposed to operate. Well, with the Snyder movies, too, John, those movies will always exist. I will always be able to go over here to my shelf. You can't see it, but I will be able to go and pick up my Blu-ray of Zack Snyder's Justice League and pop it in the Blu-ray player and watch it for four hours until I'm dead, yes. <laughs> until I'm 100 years old, I've got one marble left in my head, and I'm yes. still well, sitting I mean, there. Well, I mean, there are, I think, nine endings to that film. So, yes, it will take a little bit of time, I know. <laughs> That's right. Martian but, Manhunter, it's the fifth climax. Cool, let's keep going. <laughs> just because they're not making more of them doesn't mean you can't still have the ones that have exactly. been made. Look at it exactly. this way. There were only two Michael Keaton Batman movies. There were only two good Christopher Reeve Superman movies. The other two were arguably terrible. I mean, there were a couple oh, yeah. of interesting things in, in, in number three, I guess. But by and large, to get three Zack Snyder DC movies... Is a pretty big deal. That doesn't happen all the time. And we yeah. should be grateful for that. We shouldn't and be he cast Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman. Yeah. We, give, we can give him partial credit for Wonder Woman. Oh, yeah. Because he's yeah. laid off yeah. on the casting the, of it. That, that's a, exactly. that's a great movie, too. Yeah, it is. It is. And it fit right into that continuity. And so we got all of that. It's time to move on. 
everything was confusing. Obviously, among general audiences, people are getting people are already getting confused between Marvel and DC, much less what is Robert Pattinson's Batman? What is the Joker right. movie? How does that all fit in? Right. And so to reset now, I think is a great idea. And I have immense faith in and trust in, in James Gunn insofar as For those who don't know, James Gunn is the guy who made the Guardians of the Galaxy. And he's moved yes. over to D.C. recently to do uh, the Suicide Squad, which is brilliantly funny. And the yes. Peacemaker, which is the most by far hilarious show I watched in all of 2022. When I heard <laughs> yeah. they were letting him do it, I, I, you know, like I don't want to see all of D.C. comics become a comedy, but great. Let let him have it because, you know, Shazam delightful when they do comedy like the Lego Batman movie. D.C. Mm-hmm. does it very well. Oh, yeah, yeah. Peacemaker was one of the best series uh, just overall of of 2022. Yeah. Um, And so what James Gunn is doing with this new approach is he's putting the story in the hands of actual writers and mainly a bunch of writers who worked on the original comics. That was his team of what he calls architects. And they came up with this first chapter of the story which is called gods and monsters i think it's a wonderful idea to put the the storytelling in the hands of creators creative people rather than studio executives who are looking for the next big hit and i think that was one of the problems with the old dc movies is the studio executives at warner brothers were constantly reversing course based on whatever the most recent movie did so if the most recent dc eu movie was a flop they would suddenly change course and try to do something else and then that would kind of fail and they would try something else and then there would be a big success and they would say well i don't know what this is let's do more of that other thing and so it's really confusing and so i'm glad that they've now or at least seem to be riding the ship but with the way things go now john with movies and tv shows you don't want to count on anything until you're actually sitting in a chair watching the damn thing because it could end well, up getting canceled at any minute. I, I do want to get to the, the the news and the politics and how we're all going to yeah, die yeah. And, and Western culture is crumbling and reality <laughs> show racist clowns get the code to the nukes. But before I get there, a little yeah. more comic book for talk first. Um, I, I understand they announced a bunch of projects yesterday. Uh, including uh, a, a new Superman movie, but Superman will be much younger in it. They said that the the Robert Pattinson Batman, which I quite liked, I thought that was one of the, the best movies of all oh, yeah. last year. Yeah. I mean, if you're a fan of cinema, you don't need to be a comic book fan. Seriously, watch it. That'll continue, but be its own separate universe. They're going to make a, a Supergirl mm-hmm. movie, a Swamp Thing movie, a, a Green Lantern series. They're, it seems like they're just coming out with a 10-year plan of just creating a lot of entertainment that... I have a lot of faith in this guy's abilities, more than I had for Mr. Snyder. Rest in peace. (laughs) The rest in peace. Yeah, I think James Gunn has a deep and long time knowledge of uh, these characters and how they started, what their personalities are, what drives them uh, and, and how to actually apply that in a movie series. And I think one of the interesting things they're doing is they're approaching this more like the star wars and star trek universes where it's not one continuous narrative where they kind of jump around in time and place and i think that's a great idea i think that's worked really really well for star wars certainly for star trek if it hadn't been for that kind of thing we'd never get strange new worlds which is also one of the best things of 2022 
Yeah. You know, it all comes down to good storytelling. It's the same thing with Marvel, the yeah. same thing with Star Wars. When there's a good, simple, tight story, you can build a great movie around that. And if you don't, and it's a lot of fan service and a lot of just familiarity and nostalgia, then yeah, mm-hmm. probably it's not, or just a lot of action sequences and a crude plot, but no real story, then then yeah, I, I'm excited yeah. to see yeah. what happens. I, I, you know, I'm glad Marvel is huge, but I grew up on DC and I love these characters. I, I, I love mm-hmm. Superman. I think it's very hard to tell a good story about an invincible guy, but they've done it before. And uh, so I'm yeah. excited. Are, and you must be excited about Star Wars. The Mandalorian is only a month away. I know we have to talk mm-hmm. about this every week now because I enjoy it with you. <laughs> We're getting requests now on Twitter to talk about The Mandalorian. I know. Time. I know. People really enjoyed it last week. But having yeah. Ryan Johnson on yesterday, I was like, oh, let me just get this guy back just to talk about Star Wars. But it, it, that's exciting, too. Yeah, and I, what's one of the most exciting aspects of this is the continuation, at least for me, the continuation of the cloning story. Obviously, following Din Djarin and, and we are the chasing uh, the, the normal know. people away right now, we are chasing some motherfuckers away <laughs> this, with this. But yes, the, the cloning story is amazing <laughs> because they've got a problem in Star Wars. They have to make the entire yeah. sequel trilogy make sense, and so TV shows are going to be used to make movies that came out in the previous decade make more sense in this decade. That's right. And I think we'll figure out in this season a little bit more in terms of how uh, Snoke came about, what the deal is with the Emperor, Emperor Palpatine and uh, the cloners that are responsible for both of them. And so, yeah, I think that's really interesting. But obviously, the main storyline with Din Djarin and and, uh, Grogu and the Mandalorian Civil War looking like it's going to actually we're going to actually see a little bit more of that happening now. Uh, plus, m- maybe more cameos. There have been hints about maybe another legacy character popping yeah. into this story. But I-, I don't care if that happens or not. I'm just I'm really into this entire storyline. I think it's one of the greatest Star Wars things that have ever happened. Nice. Yeah, me too. I'm I'm just a fan of good storytelling. So if it's Marvel, if yeah. it's DC, if it's Star Wars, I'll I'll geek out with whomever. Um, now, mm-hmm. Bob, let's talk about less important things uh, like uh, our, our exactly. crumbling democracy. Um, you know, <laughs> speaking of cameos, uh, I bet they were pretty surprised to be going through the Durham bombshells and realizing that Italy provided a cameo of more crimes from Donald Trump when they couldn't find oh, yeah. any crimes committed against Donald Trump. You know, the Durham thing is like Nick Fuentes. It's just nice people shouldn't have to know about this. (laughs) But but is this finally put to bed investigating the investigators? I mean, it's all just subterfuge. They have new lies to cover for. Yeah, I I just can't get beyond the Italy thing where uh, there was an Italian official who revealed to John Durham that there were potential Trump financial crimes that should probably be investigated. And and so Bill Barr assigned John Durham to investigate those crimes. What happened with that investigation? It wasn't included. No information about this thing was included in any memo from John Durham's office. We didn't hear about it at all until Charlie Savage's reporting in The New York Times the other day. Mm. And so there are more questions, way more questions than there are answers in all of this. So what was the possible crime? Why wasn't it pursued? Did Donald Trump know that John Durham had discovered this possible crime? Did Trump do something to force Bill Barr to cover it up? Or did Bill Barr use the possibility of this crime as a way to paint Donald Trump into a corner in order to do what Bill Barr wanted him to to do? I, I don't know what the rationale is, and that's why we're all we're only left to speculate in terms of right. how this all went down. It's an amazing bit of this very long piece 
about the Durham investigation, which and there was another thing about that story, John. I don't mean to change the topic too no, please, much. Go ahead. But there were some quotes in this article about how John Durham has changed, how he's no longer <laughs> the level headed straight shooter that he used to be, that now he seems like he's off in this other world that we've observed through great pain and anguish and that is the the world of trumpism and it struck me as interesting i think there was maybe just one short paragraph about that and it struck me as something that we've all witnessed we've all witnessed people family members friends who have been indoctrinated into this trumpism cult and they've become completely different people or right. maybe they're the same person and then you just accidentally mention obama or Hillary, and then suddenly mm -hmm. they metamorphosize into these <laughs> nine foot tall screaming monsters with giant make America great again, red hats on. <clears throat> and uh, this is apparently what happened with John Durham. And I think it also happened with Bill Barr, quite honestly. Bill Barr was always kind of, you know, the cover up guy. Yeah. But Bill Barr, he said, while attacking Donald Trump, that the number one threat to the United States isn't climate crisis or terrorism right. or russia world war three nothing like that the biggest threat to the united states is the liberal agenda john that's it says yep. bill barr that's oh, yeah. someone who's been indoctrinated into a cult oh it sounds like he's dare we say been groomed to be part of that cult <laughs> um, yes thank you bob before i let you go i wanted to ask if you had any thoughts on the atrocious uh video of the police executing a citizen of uh, memphis tennessee last friday night i i think they thought that yeah. nobody would watch it if it aired on friday and uh as horrible as it is i'm just it's never been harder for cops to get away with this and the fact that they mm -hmm. went after the two white cops this week is everything that's wrong with it but it seems like this is a department with a black female commissioner who is trying to do the right thing what do you think yeah yeah well obviously uh irrespective of what happens with training and procedures in these police departments oftentimes these cops are just going to ignore any of that stuff i mean the ones who are predisposed to executing a suspect in the street um, there was another one that's not getting a whole lot of attention, but it probably should. And it, it took place in Huntington Beach, Southern California. And there was a guy who had a butcher knife. He was confined to a wheelchair. Why? Because both of his legs were amputated. And the cops stopped him for whatever reason. And there's camera phone video of this. Right. The guy uh, fell out of his wheelchair and started to run away on his leg stumps oh. and they shot him dead i couldn't believe it when i saw it i we in fact we were in the middle of doing my podcast on tuesday and i just happened to scroll down twitter and there was this video this breaking news story about this guy and i was stunned into silence i mean i i can talk about just about anything for at length but this I was I didn't even know how to even process something like that. Why? Why on earth? What justification would you have of shooting dead a man who was running away from you without any legs, without legs. for God's sake? Why would you punch Horrible. a man who's lying on the yeah. ground and wearing handcuffs? Why yeah. would you punch him in the head repeatedly because you can and because you think you can get away with it? And that's mm -hmm. why it happened. And that's why I've been telling all these racists. Sorry, that's why it is racist even yeah, if it was yeah. five black cops.
There's so many different factors that go into this toxic cocktail, John. I don't even know where to begin. I don't know how some of these police chiefs and uh, local politicians are figuring out how to solve this problem. I, I think ultimately it's got to come down to insurance, believe it or not. Oh, insurance I agree. has got to stop. Yeah, they, they just have to stop insuring some of these uh, uh, police forces to the point where they have to crack down on bad cops. Yeah. Because otherwise, it's just it's the end of the road financially for them. I agree. I say take away the qualified immunity and let people sue precincts yeah. and let the pension fund pay the settlements. And you'll see these these behaviors clean up right away. Bob, we only have That's a right. minute left. They're, they they really are making an AR-15 for children. Darwin yes. was wrong about everything, wasn't he, Bob? <laughs> Is it really called yeah. the JR, the Junior 15? Yeah, it sounds like a joke, doesn't it? It sounds like something out of the onion. Oh, they're making an AR-15, and it's it's uh, it's fun size. It's a fun size AR-15, and they're calling it the JR-15. Ha, 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 and everyone shares it on Twitter. The shame of it is it's actually real. Uh, I don't know what the law is. There's got to be a law that prevents marketing firearms to children. There you was take. one, I want to say about 10 years ago, John, called the Cricket Rifle. I remember writing about this where there was a TV commercial and everything with little kids and, and it was yeah. a smaller size. It was a it was a rifle for children and people of smaller stature. But it was a family of four and two, you know, like 10 year old kids with their rifles. And the commercial also showed them inadvertently pointing them at other members of the oh. family <laughs> <laughs> accidentally. But that's Get the sort of thing we see yeah. every day almost where there's a, a kid who either shoots himself or shoots his uh, friend or a sibling right. or parent with a gun that's just laying around. And now they're making them for kids. Why not? Get a get a little gun to teach your son to uh, overcompensate for his little gun. Bob Seska, it is such a pleasure to have you. What's the best way for our listeners to follow you and keep up with your work? Thank you, John. Yeah, bobseskashow.com. That's my Patreon page. And you just search for The Bob Seska Show wherever you get your podcasts. Bob, I'm proud to be your toxic fan. We got to take a quick break. <laughs> we'll be right back with your calls at 866-997-4748. This is Progress. We are at 866-997-4748, 866-997-GRID. Going to get your calls in just a second. As you know, Tyree Nichols was finally laid to rest at a funeral in Memphis today, attended by many luminaries, including Reverend Sharpton and uh, Vice President Harris. Boy, did Sharpton nail it. You know, I, I've criticized Reverend Sharpton over the years, and I have praised him. I've been on his TV show many times. He nailed it. At her funeral in Memphis today, Al Sharpton refused to accept municipal excuses for racially imbalanced police tactics. Give this a little listen. Well, Reverend Al, you don't understand. How are they going to keep crime down in the black community and at the same time not be tough and rough? Well, they do it the same way they do it on the white side of Memphis. And they keep the crime down without being rough and tough. How do you have the same department and keep crime down on one side of town without beating folk to death? But you can't do it on the other side of town unless you feel that you can get away with it there. I can't speak for everybody in Memphis. I can't speak for everybody gathering. But for me, I believe if that man had been white, you wouldn't have beat him like that that night. 
We're not asking for nothing special. Yeah. We're asking to be treated equal and to be treated fair. And just like they marched and boycotted and went to jail for nine years from the 55 Montgomery bus boycott to the 64 Civil Rights Act, mm -hmm. we're going to pay the same dues to get this George Floyd Justice and Police in that. It was a really powerful eulogy. We're going to be playing some bits of it later on, as well as some of Vice President Harris, who also spoke beautifully. Let me go to the phones, though, because some of you all have been on hold for a very long time, and we are so grateful for your patience. Marie in Atlanta, hello and welcome. Hello, John. Thanks for taking my call. Thank you. Um, I, um, in terms of Reverend Sharpton's um, eulogy today, he talked, he, he began by talking about what an affront it is for those who were in the civil rights fight of the 1960s to have fought to open the doors that the five black cops were able to walk through to gain access Correct. to opportunity and then to have used that opportunity and really abused that opportunity um, to act like the same people who they had to fight in order to open those doors. You know um, what, Marie, can I can I play that exact clip? Because you, you, please, you summed it up so yeah. beautifully. Let me just really quickly. Here it is. This is Al Sharpton today discussing the tragic irony uh, or hypocrisy of these police officers responsible for Tyree Nichols' death. Is that five black men that wouldn't have had a job in the police department would not ever be thought of to be in an elite squad in the city that Dr. King lost his life not far away from that balcony you beat a brother to death there's nothing more insulting and offensive to those of us that fight to open doors that you walk through those doors and ask like the folks we had to fight for to get you through the door. There we go. Marie? Amen. Yeah. You know, for a very long time, I've bristled. In, in some respects, he's coming at the concept of collective responsibility, but from a different angle. And I've bristled at, at collective responsibility for a long time. Um, collective responsibility being that if one black person does something bad, there tends to be this collective responsibility or price paid collectively by black yeah. people. Um, well, but, but this goes two ways also, because this is why so many white people are so uncomfortable having any kind of conversation about racism, because they think that we're trying to call them monsters based on what their ancestors did. Exactly. And Go ahead, I'm sorry. I mean, that's okay. My, my, <laughs> the night before my first year of law school, um, and I was at a top tiered law school, my upperclassman mentor took me out to dinner and he took that opportunity to tell me about the opportunity that I had been given. He's African-American and well-meaning, right. but to tell me that I had been given an opportunity that I had certainly earned my way there, not to let anybody make me think otherwise, but to be mindful about the fact that how I handled that opportunity was going to reflect on whatever person of color 
was coming behind me in uh. need of an opportunity that my handling of it would be a benchmark by which uh. there might be a determination as to whether or not that person got in. And that of person course. was telling me that I was responsible for somebody else's dream getting killed if I wasn't That's right. responsible in how I handled it. And that's so right. I think that what, what instead of... By the way, that's the, same, that's the same argument of now there'll never be a woman president because of Hillary. I mean, exactly. like we, we hear it mutated in so many different ways. Exactly. But I think what Reverend Sharpton was getting at today was really not so much collective responsibility as collective conservatorship. And a conservator being one that preserves from injury or violation or an official that's charged with the protection of something that affects public welfare and interest. And now I'm reading from the dictionary definition on Merriam-Webster's. But if we are collectively African-Americans conservators of and protectors of the rights that were hard won, then it does become our responsibility to make sure, just as Native Americans say, we borrow the land from our children we yes. are borrowing those rights from the next generation and we are protecting them and hopefully enhancing them for them to be able to use. Marie, look at you coming in here and classing up my show again. How dare you woman? How dare you? <laughs> so true. So true. And it is, it is a, a shared responsibility, but you know, even, even as a lame honky white bread, motherfucker, white guy, you know, I still feel the same thing. I'm raising a, a white male child and I do feel an enormous amount of collective responsibility, whether it's responsible or not. I mean, I look at Don Trump Jr. and Kimberly Guilfoyle, and to me, that's like a minstrel show for white people. I just see the most awful aspects of mm. Caucasian fuckery on display all the time. And, and I'm trying to raise a kid not to be not just to be a good man, but to be a good white man, because, mm. you know, I'm. <laughs> There's so much of it out there, and 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 I don't judge anyone who wants to judge me based on how another white man treated them. I get it, and I do appreciate that. Thank you. I appreciate you, and thank you for making me smarter and a better person every time you call. I really mean it. Thank you, Marie. Thank you. Good night. Good night. Eight six six nine nine seven forty seven forty eight. I want to get one more call really quick before our next break. If we don't get to your call right away, I promise we'll get to you, Stephen Georgia. Thanks for your patience on hold. Hello, John. John, hello. Hi. Hi. Okay, you barely got into it with Bob concerning the JR-15. You know, every few years, the gun grabbers get into all in the high dudgeon about marketing of firearms that are sized for kids and young adults. Bob Seska, he mentioned the cricket rifle. Right. Who's a gun gun grabber? I'm not talking about confiscation. Who's a gun grabber? You aren't, but plenty are. I mean, we have... Can you, you name know, one? Going back to Beto, or, Beto O'Rourke. Okay. Oh, yes, we're going to take your AR-15s. Okay. I mean, this is... It's it's saying the quiet part out loud. This is what they want. The... I don't. I don't support. I don't know anyone who supports confiscating AR-15s. I, I know people who support banning the sale of future AR-15s, as supported by President Reagan. I, I don't know anyone. I don't know Beto personally, but he's the only Democrat I know of who's talked about coming and confiscating AR-15s. Everyone I know just talks about banning future sales. Stupid enough to say it out loud. Well, I mean, you know, I. This it's just another leftist moral panic. Okay. It's, no, it's not. It's 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 being pro-life and caring about the lives and well-being of other Americans. 
I mean, come on, after Uvalde, after Uvalde, you, you have to admit that a lot of people are doing this just because they care about people. They care about Americans. They care about children's lives. So you don't think kids should be taught gun safety and the proper handling of firearms? <laughs> of course, that, kids. Of course, that. kids should be taught gun safety. I'm talking about banning the future sale of other AR-15s because the bag, the guy who created the Armalite didn't intend it to ever be used for civilian use, and there is no civilian use for it. There's no, other ways. No, I, I I believe in an America I where a hang on a second on with, plane, with respect, God. Steve. I want an America yes. where a mass killer will have to reload after 10 rounds and a bystander can tackle them when they reload. I, I, there's no civilian I purpose for this. You, I will post you an advertisement from Remington for a rifle that was marketed for kids that held 20 rounds from the 1950s. No, I know. I, I, I'm, I'm not saying ban those rounds. I'm not talking about confiscating anyone's weapons. I think a JR-15 is creepy, but I don't think that because it is. But I'm not against teaching proper firearm respect and maintenance to children. Not at all. But again, not wanting to sell more AR-15s to more unstable 20 year olds. And when you tell me the plan to make men not snap, I'll say, go ahead and have all the weapons of war you want. But until then, so, I'm sorry, so because, but I just kind of feel like if it so saves a few thousand American lives, it might be worth it. So you're going to justify taking away rights? No, I'm not. I'm not coming for any existing guns. I don't support confiscation. How many times will you make me say it, my friend? I don't want to then sell future why, guns. I want to ban the sales. Side, why do you call this a weapon of war? Why because it is. It has no civilian if purpose. It's a weapon of war, no one should own it, right? No, trained military personnel can have it. There is no civilian use for an AR-15. And I know I'm not going to convince you, and I know, and you know you're not going to convince me. Uh, it is used for hunting. It is used for target shooting. It is used for legal... For target shooting. So it's entertainment. It's entertainment. It's entertainment. Because they are not no, it's entertainment. No one has com- no one's doing acts of self-defense with an AR-15, my friend. I love you. I respect you. I don't want to take your guns away. OK, but no one is John, using an AR-15 for anything yeah, other than entertainment. It's not rights. It's entertainment. And I'm sorry, there's too many 20 year old men who should not have these weapons because they kill lots of other fucking people. And my love for life, my patriotism is is greater than my love for your preferred I'm, method of entertainment. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm not against guns. I'm going to blow with this one statistic. I'm going to blow Go your ahead. mind. Go ahead. Did you know that students from the 1990s, compared to students from the last numbers are from the mid-2010s, Yes. that when it comes to dying in a school shooting, mm-hmm. four times more likely in the 1990s to die in a school shooting. I will send you that information. So what are you saying? So that's why we should. So you're saying that because Uvalde doesn't happen as often as it happened in the 90s, that we should have that we should have easier access to AR-15s. I'm sorry. I don't think 21 year old guys should be able to own machines designed to kill lots of humans really fast. And that's what the AR-15 was designed to do. Its own creator did not think it should be available for civilian use. That's not a lie. lie. His own kids have said it. His own kids have said it. When did he say it? Wait, you want me to look it up? I'm on the radio. John, you can look it up yourself. No, no his quote. family came out There's and said no it. Quote. It comes from anonymous members of his family 20 years after he died. Okay. Sounds very okay. convenient to me, John. <laughs> okay. And what I'm saying is. on Twitter about anonymous people on Twitter 
Okay, what I'm saying is this. Bravery to put their name and face behind American lives matter more than your goddamn entertainment. Okay? American lives matter more than your ability to shoot 30 rounds without reshoot, without reloading. Listen, listen, listen. You're not going to convince me. I'm not going to convince you. I care about the lives of American men and women and children more than I care about civilians owning a machine that's designed to kill them really fast. I don't expect you to be pro-life. I don't expect you to give a shit about cops and the lives of cops. And I don't expect you to give a rat's ass what the New Testament says about it either. But no one's coming for your precious fucking guns, my friend. No one's coming for your guns. Pharisee Fugel saying. Oh, it's you. I will leave. Yeah, bye. So. He's a Twitter troll. Pharisee. <laughs> guys, guys, the lies. Beto O'Rourke couldn't get elected in Texas. No one's coming to take your goddamn entertainment. But the Pharisees, you know, we were just about to get into how racist he was. Listen, call me back if you want, anytime. We were at 866-997-4748. I don't want your guns. I'm not afraid of you. I don't think you give a shit about American life. I don't think you care about the lives of cops. When you are saying you want more AR-15s on the marketplace, you are saying you think it's acceptable for police to have to face criminals who own machines designed to kill lots of people really fast. You have every right to fight for that if that's the America you believe in. And I have every right to point out that you're not a patriot, you're not a Christian, and you sure as hell ain't pro-life. 866-997-4748. We'll be right back. This is Progress. And welcome back to SiriusXM Progress. In case you're wondering, uh, Eugene Stoner is the man who created the AR-15, and it was his family that came out and said, our father, Eugene Stoner, designed the AR-15 and subsequent M-16 as a military weapon, to give our soldiers an advantage over the AK-47. He died long before any mass shootings occurred, but we do think he would have been horrified and sickened as anyone, if not more by these events. His intent was that he designed it as a military rifle. Please share your insults with the children of the guy whose gun you worship more than you care about American lives. We are at 866-997-4748. I want to shift to a different kind of cruelty and fuckery and uh, lack of patriotism and lack of Christian values, because as you guys know, we're currently amid a wave of anti-trans sports bills and anti-trans healthcare bills. And this is all part of the Republican Party's grand goal of realizing, well, they lost on marriage equality. They lost on homophobia. They lost on the Defense of Marriage Act. So now how can they keep the bigotry alive? Bring anti-trans legislation all the way in all the states until it, some cases get to the U.S. Supreme Court. None of this will improve the lives of cisgender people in any way. But again, it's performative cruelty. They want to get some kind of anti-trans ruling from the Supreme Court with a faster pace, but, but similar strategy as what they used to overturn Roe v. Wade. And the Supreme Court is going to be taking up debate on anti-trans bathroom bills very soon. That's why I'm so happy to welcome Imara Jones to the show. Uh, Imara is the creator of Translash Media, a cross-platform nonprofit journalism and narrative organization, which produces content to shift the current culture of hostility towards transgender people in the U.S. She hosts the Webby-nominated Translash podcast, as well as the investigative limited series, The Anti-Trans Hate Machine. You may have seen Imara uh, in The Guardian, The Nation, CNBC, NPR. I just saw her with Joy Reid on MSNBC. It's a pleasure to welcome uh, someone I was 
proud to have on my TV show at Current TV back, Imara Jones. Hello and Happy New Year. Hello. Uh, nice to um, talk to you again and to be remembered and how we oh, all yes. miss your television show. But we're so glad that you're here on Sirius. Well, thank you. I had a great time having you on my TV show and the whole the whole team loved you. And I really, really appreciate your your voice. And I respect you as someone who is not just a guy like me talking about the anti-trans movement <laughs> and the intersectionality of anti-trans with racism. But you're you're a black transgender woman who goes out there every day and and stares these Christian nationalists in the face mm -hmm. because enough kids have killed themselves. And I just admire your work so much. Thank you so much. So let's talk about what we're witnessing now, this new wave of anti-trans bills and how the Republican Party is using this in lieu of actually doing anything for cisgender voters. They're going to go ahead and punch down any way they can. We know it's happening. What's on your radar? Well, I think that what's on my radar is how this is part of their larger project to undermine and to defeat um, American democracy by using issues such as the attack on trans people to win uh, political power uh, in order to advance that agenda. They know that most people don't want to live in the world that they want us to create, but if they focus narrowly enough on a group of people who are marginalized and then distort that group of people and isolate That's them, they, they believe that they can you know, peel enough of um, sort of middle of the road voters out of some weird um, uh, sh this concern for kids that's misplaced and combine that with their gend up minority and, you know, eke out very narrow victories. And, you know, they do it because it's worked for them, especially at the state level. That's right. And so I think that we have to just understand that, that this is part of a larger um project to defeat democracy. It's not what they're talking about. And anybody who's paying attention knows that. Well, it might be hard for some nice people to imagine that there's folks who get up in the morning and say, hey, trans people have a lot of struggles and a lot of persecution and uh, a, a lot of fear. Um, how can I make their lives worse? It might seem hard to imagine that. But as our current legislative session begins, politicians around our country have already introduced 124 total bills restricting LGBTQ people and restricting the safety of transgender students. It's a coordinated effort across the country to deny transgender people safety, dignity, freedom. And it seems like it's just for performative meanness. It seems like it's just to get votes. It doesn't really seem to protect the health or well-being of anyone. No, and I don't think that they really pretend that. You know, I don't know if you happen to see this, but Nicola Sturgeon, who's the first minister of Scotland, sort of mm -hmm. savaged the UK government for vetoing um, a gender bill that she passed recently, which would allow young trans people to more easily um, change their gender identity on governments and that sort of thing so right. that they wouldn't be harassed and, you know, could get jobs, kind of basic things. Um, and said that, you know, everyone who says that they're standing up for women in Scotland are never actually there on any of the bills that actually matter to the lives of women. Never That's there right. on health care, never there on equal access to jobs, never there on the things that actually would, you know, you would think that they would focus on cis women's lives. And I think that we have to understand it, John, you know, um, as an and and. So mm -hmm. I always tell people that 
it's not only a cynical ploy because it is right it is it is a cynical ploy but there's also an ideological bent this is actually what they believe like they actually believe that trans people don't have a role in our society because they say that they can't find us in the bible and we are talking right. about people who are driven by an extreme um religious ideology that they've done um so, where they've done such a good job of cloaking that in the air of um, respectability and building all of these Washington-based institutions like the Heritage Foundation and Family Research Council, which one of Family Research Council has actually been designated as a hate group by the SPLC, by the way. But given these this cloak of responsibility about arguing over taxes and the role of government, yes. when these are just actually fronts for religious zealotry, and it really comes out on the trans issue. So this is both totally. about ideological stuff and also cynical politics that we've spoken about. Absolutely. I mean, on so many levels, you know, and again, I, I go back to the Bible. Um, there's nothing in the Bible you can use to justify cruelty or discrimination to transgender brothers and sisters. Uh, the character of Christ, who they claim to follow, is very specific about how we're supposed to treat each other, particularly the least of these. And it's St. Paul, the conservative PR guy they love so much, who said there is neither male nor female in Christ. Even St. Paul would be gender binary when it came to spirituality. And yet we see Donald Trump, who's now trying to catch up with Ron DeSantis for cracking down on transgender rights, passing laws in Congress, banning gender affirming a care for my gender affirming care for minors everywhere, punishing doctors and hospitals who provide this kind of treatment. DeSantis has already forbidden doctors in Florida from even talking about it, passing laws, establishing that the government only recognize two genders, male and female, and that they are assigned at birth and then investigating pharmaceutical companies and hospitals just for helping people with gender-affirming care. It really is an incredibly organized movement across many states where they're just cutting and pasting the same arguments, Alex style, and trying to make life harder for a marginalized group of Americans. Yeah, in order to advance an extreme religious ideology and to get votes, right? Exactly. Like that's the that's exactly. the completion of, of of your sentence. And I yes, and I you're think, right. You know, and I think that like um, one of the key things that we have to understand is that this ideology is not kind of ancillary to modern republicanism. It's a cornerstone of republicanism. It's actually one of the key things that they can all agree on, which is why they're all rallying around this particular issue. And so we have to understand this again within a political context as a unifying tool, not only to you know get votes as we've spoken about, but also because because it's it's moving to the center of the ideology of the Republican Party. And that's because it's a party now that doesn't care about governing. There's no pretense right. about taxes or the role of government or any of that other stuff that they would said during during Reagan Reagan's years or Bush years or whatever. They've abandoned all that. It is a party that is about domination and dominance and hierarchy, and that's what it's all about. And that's why this issue is becoming increasingly important to them. Amen. Absolutely. Um, let me ask you, the American Medical Association, mm. the AMA, has warned of, of really negative mental health impacts from having restrictions on transgender youth who already have an increased risk of suicide. Like literally, the Association of Doctors is saying, stop doing this to these poor kids. What do you say? I'm curious, what do you say when you hear our right wing neighbors or coworkers or, or, or family members 
who come out and say, well, it's child abuse, allowing these transgender kids to go through gender affirming care before they turn 18. It's child abuse. I mean, it has become the most popular Republican talking point on this issue. And they literally are trying to abuse children under the guise of stopping abusive children. What do you say when you hear, Amara, this argument? Well, I mean, isn't it frightening how we have a media ecosystem now where extreme ideas and talking points that begin on the darkest corners of the Internet become the mainstream talking points of a political Mm -hmm. party? And what I mean by that is that, you know, there's a there's a pipeline that's been constructed to move these ideas that are grounded in QAnon, that are grounded, you know, in 4chan and 8chan and these other chat rooms where these ideas are ginned up. And to spread them out to the wider world so that they seem to become normal. And so what it means to me is that 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 campaign has been effective. You know, that's not an it's not a natural conclusion to say these things. And it's only because of this ecosystem that's been created. Excuse me. And I think. You know, what breaks my heart is the fact that, you know, we know that in states where these bills are just discussed, not passed, that um, su- suicide ideation goes up amongst trans youth and yeah. gender nonconforming youth, and that the calls of the hotlines in those places go through the roof, and that the discussion of this is hurting people. And I also think, sadly, about how we're creating political refugees in the United States. And what I mean by that is that when these bills past, there are parents who have to wake up the next day and decide whether or not they are going to move their kid, if they can, to some other place in the United States where they can be safe. Um, And that is something that we don't talk about. We have political refugees in the United States that have been created around this issue. And you were recently quoted in a, a great piece in The Nation by our friend Amy Littlefield, where you were talking about the Christian nationalist playbook that they use against trans people. And as you put it, you isolate, you stigmatize, and you demonize. And this is consistently, whether we're talking about transgender children or the Christian refugees at our southern border, consistently how the right wing gets the white heterosexual minority majority to always feel like an oppressed minority under siege and how they feel that people with no power in our culture are the greatest threat to them. And that's right. It's always worked. I mean, this is what fascist cultures in every country around the world have done. And it's the essential ingredient to getting them into power, right? Which is what's so frightening about what's happening is that it's it we're seeing it play out right before us. And supposedly, you know, before Ron DeSantis became governor, you know, many of us went to schools where, you know, many of these tenants and these developments were taught. And you don't have to go to 1930s Germany. You can go to the United States um, and Jim Crow, what happened to African-Americans or many other cultures around the world that we've all been exposed to and study and see this play out. But somehow there is something about it happening in the United States at this time, which is paralyzing our political culture from Mm -hmm. seeing what is a well-worn playbook play out in our country in real time. And as you keep pointing out, the Republicans are relying on these strategies to unite the base. It's the same thing they did with Dobbs v. Jackson. And it wasn't popular with the overall culture, but it's popular with their base and they don't care about reaching a a greater audience. I'm very curious, Imara, if I I may, Politico named you as one of the 40 power players at the intersection of race, politics and policy in the U.S. last year. Congratulations. It's it's well deserved. You know, you, you could have just 
lived your life as privately as you could. You could have not become an activist and fought for people that you'll never know. But you've made the choice to become uh, an international spokesperson. You were the first trans person to ever receive an award from the National Black Journalists Association. Mm -hmm. And I'm really curious, was there in your personal and, and professional evolution, was there a moment when you realized that this was going to be your path, not just living your life as who you knew you were, but actually going public and fighting for the dignity and lives of others? I mean, how, what, what was it that made you become an activist when you could have just lived your life as quietly as you could? What's so fascinating is that, like, I don't actually describe myself as an activist. You know, if you see in my bio, like, I never have that word. Yeah. And that's because, like, I I see myself fundamentally as um, a journalist, which means I fundamentally believe that I'm a truth teller about our times. And I fundamentally believe that a part of our calling is to be guardians of democracy. There is no democracy and there is no advancement in the core values of our country without truth-telling. It's impossible. Um, and so I think that I'm much more committed to that than I am anything else. And I think that because I am, it leads me to say things and to do things and to sometimes be bolder um, uh, than otherwise people might be um, and appear to be as if I am advancing kind of something where I really just believe what I'm doing is what we're supposed to be doing, which is we're supposed to be guardians on the wall for this project and for the humanity and decency for everyone and to hold power to account. And I think I'm more committed to doing that than anything. I just happen Absolutely. to do it through a trans lens. I, well, I, I completely respect that. And you're right. I mean, it's, it's really, I mean, if anything, it's, if you don't mind the expression, it's a ministry to me more than mm. it is activism. It's, it's a path you're That's walking right. and it's an unselfish path where you are looking out for people who are walking a similar journey. Um, we're at 866-997-4748, by the way, 866-99-GRIT. So, Imara, what, what's next? I mean, for your straight or cisgender allies who are listening to this yeah. conversation, who care whether they have trans friends or coworkers or not, for mm -hmm. the people who want to help, where should people be focusing their attention right now? The amazing thing is there's so many things that people can do. This is not one of those things where like you should feel paralyzed. And the reason why is because one of the reasons that Republicans target trans people, you know, trans people at, you know, at, at on, on the best day that, you know, a counter has ever had um, in the United States, you know, are one and a half percent of the population. That's kind of like the top number. And so one of the reasons why they attack our community is because they believe nobody cares. Right. We're a small group of people and we can be picked on. And so I think that when these bills come up and these conversations happen, you have no idea the power of you calling your state legislator who never hears from anybody about anything call and say you know this is who i am and this is how i feel about this bill and i want to let you know right. it does a tremendous amount going to your school board and saying you know in in our district we want to find a way to be supportive of, of trans kids we, because we want to be supportive of all kids like these things that on other issues may seem like they're a drop you know in a in a in a torrential river because there's so little public discourse and they believe so little public um, support that if people make their voice heard through some very basic ways, um, it has a massive, massive effect. And the other thing that you can do is, you know, there's a, 
vast number of trans organizations in states across the country. And you can find out who they are. You can you know, go to the Equality Federation uh, uh, website and find out what the what the group in your state is or groups in your state states are and find a way to support them through a variety of ways. And so I think the hopeful part of this is that there's actually a lot that people can do that has a big impact. That's great. It really does seem, though. I mean, the more we look at the landscape and what's coming down the pike, it seems like healthcare access is really going to be the way the Republicans go after it. I mean, they're targeting access to medically necessary health care for so many people. And as you know, so many of these bills ban affirming care for trans youth. And and now they're trying to get around it even more by creating criminal penalties for providing this care. I'm mm-hmm. disappointed that the Democratic Party hasn't mounted mm. an adequate counter narrative to call out cruelty <laughs> and meanness for its own sake. But right now there's 35 bills in this country right now that are targeting healthcare access for transgender people. I mean, it really seems like hospitals are where this battle will play out. We could spend like an entire show talking about the the Democrats' one response to this entire issue and how it creates a political opportunity for the GOP. But, mm. you know, we're running out of time. <laughs> I would say <laughs> that, I would say that, um, on this particular issue, yes, trans healthcare is the way that they're in going into this, and it's because the American Principles Project, a right-wing organ, uh, organization, a Christian nationalist group, poll tested in 2018 uh, mm-hmm. the best way to get people uncomfortable with the idea of trans people, and they they determined from their focus groups that it would be trans youth. And so that's yeah. why we're talking about trans kids, because they know that this is the way to make people uncomfortable and that trans healthcare is the entry point to that. But, you know, John, some of the most frightening things to me is how this is rapidly expanding beyond kids. I don't know if you heard about the Oklahoma bill, but it seeks to ban um, trans healthcare up to age 26. We had oh. Donald Trump say last night that if he becomes president, he's going to ban access to, uh, to health care for anybody who's trans. That's right. Um, you know, we have these pronoun bills that they're coming uh, out with. We have these, um, you know, Ron DeSantis's assault on parents who want to support their trans kids. That's and right. Licensing, you know, um, state workers to separate um parents who love their trans kids from their Preach. trans kids if they support them. You know, it. Uh, what's frightening is that this is the thin end of the wedge. I, I, you know, if it were only about trans healthcare and trans kids, we may over a core, you know, a, a series of years be able to develop effective, you know, counterattacks to be able to blend it. But I think yeah. the problem is that they're so rapidly is expanding this and moving so in so true. many different directions. And again, these are the people These are the people who won't stop screaming about freedom and liberty. I mean, (laughs) where are the Democrats on this? They won't stop screaming about liberty, liberty, liberty. But it's a very narrow definition of what that means. Um, Imar, it is such a pleasure to to have you back on the show. Um, What is the best way for our listeners to follow you and keep up with your work and subscribe to the podcast? And I'd love to have you back more often if if you can put up with us. It'd be a real pleasure. Oh, yeah. I can put up with you anytime. Um, As long as I can keep doing this in my pajamas, I'm great. Um, (laughs) All right. Well, uh, come into the studio in person someday, but we'll learn the pleasure. Oh, yeah. I'm into that. I'll have to get dressed, though. But yeah, I'm into it. Um, I'm dying to know uh, what your pajamas look like like, like now. (laughs) Patterns. I'm really big into patterns. Um, (laughs) So um, the best way to subscribe to the subscribe to the podcast is wherever you go um, get your podcast just subscribe to translash uh it's very easy t r a 
N-S-L-A-S-H. Um, you can also follow us on social media at Translash Media. It's also super easy to follow me. I'm at my name, Amara Jones, um, across social media. And a really easy thing they can do, John, is just go to your tweet from earlier tonight where my yeah. handle is and follow me there. That's super easy. Okay, right on. What a pleasure. Please come see us more often. I'd, I'd love to talk with you more. It's going to be a very eventful year. And obviously, yep. it's uh, it's a lot better getting your take on this than another cis, hetero, white, <laughs> relatively straight loser like me. Uh, I really appreciate it. Amara Jones is the host of the Translash podcast and the creator of Translash Media. It's such a pleasure speaking with you again. Let's not wait 10 years or so till the next time we do an interview. Thank you so much for joining us and Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you.